And uh, I'd like to pray before we jump in today. My message is going to be a little different. If you're new around here, um, you probably have no context for how I normally preach, but if you've been around and heard me preach before, um, I'm going to preach in a little different style. I think that the Lord dropped this in my heart, uh, and I'm going to hope and pray that, that God will speak to each one of you. So why don't we uh, begin by praying together this morning. Lord, I thank you for your presence here right now. We thank you that your word is living and active, that your word can speak straight to our heart. We thank you that it's not about me, it's not about my ability in my flesh and thoughts I can come up with, but that what you do when we set aside our time in this space for you and we give you license to do and say what you want inside of us, we thank you that you speak transformative messages to our heart and that we'll never be the same when we hear from you. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room, that your words reside in them, that there is life and death in their tongue, that as even they leave from this place, though they may, may never stand on this pulpit and hold this microphone, that their words are important and valuable. And so for all of us, we thank you, God, that when we speak your words, our words can bring life and life abundant. And so we ask together that right now that you would speak your life, your truth, and your way to each one of us as individuals and together as a community, that we be the church that you had in mind. We commit ourselves to you for that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in this series called Radical, and I am excited to preach a radical message to you today. It's going to be radical. It's, it's a really, really exciting topic, a theme that we have this weekend, that sort of an assignment that was given to us to preach this message on this amazing theme. It's an amazing, it's a life-giving theme. The theme that I'm going to be preaching about today, discussing with you today, that we're going to come around this concept today, is a concept that if we were to invest in, if we were to buy into it, if we were to apply it to our life, we would become very much like the God of the universe. It's a theme and a subject that very much reflects the character and the nature of who our God is and what he does. I'm just not going to tell you what the subject is. I had this thought, and I think that it's a God thought, and you know what? If I crash and burn on this, just have grace with me, okay? I'm studying this week, and I have this passage that I, I felt like the Lord led me to. It's, it's 12 verses. We're going we're gonna to study the Word of God together, but I'm not going to tell you where to turn in the Bible. There's no you version. If you're looking for that, just stop looking. It's not up. I'm not going to list what the scripture is. I'll tell you at the end, but it is the Bible. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a message without you knowing the subject, without you knowing where the scripture is coming from. I remembered as the Lord dropped this thought in my heart that there, there were some movies that I heard of. There was a movie that I heard of a while ago. It came out, I think, many years ago. And I started thinking about the, oh yeah, it was filmed and produced in this weird way. And I looked it up and some films, a few films are produced in the style of, it's called reverse chronology. I don't know if you've ever seen a film like this. But the beginning is they show you the last scene. And then you're like, bam, oh, there it is, the plot, that's it. But then they go back a little bit and they show you what happened leading to the last scene. And then they go back a little bit further and they show you a little bit more of what led to that. And then, a little bit, and then by the end of the movie, you really see the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and I was thinking about this, and I had this thought that that would be really fun to do in a sermon, 
because, not just because it's fun, not just because it's different, but because something different happens inside of us when we consider the implications of something prior to knowing the subject matter of what we're considering. You view a subject differently when you're able to uh, consider the truth implications of something before you have the actual subject in mind because anything in life, we approach a teaching or a thought or somebody's opinion with our preconceived notions of what we already believe about the subject. So for example, if you have a friend named Billy Bob and you know that Billy Bob is like the most selfish human being to walk the planet and you really dislike Billy Bob though you love him because you're a Christian but you really don't like him, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. You don't like Billy Bob? But you're trying to love Billy Bob, but you know that Billy Bob is super selfish, opinionated, and everything about him rubs you the wrong way. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I got to tell you what Billy Bob did. And you say, I already know what Billy Bob did. He probably yelled at you, probably cursed you out, probably stole your belongings and killed your cat. <laughs> no, that wasn't what I was going to say about Billy Bob at all. Actually, Billy Bob. He gave everything he had because this, this single mom was in need of some medical care. And so he gave $10,000 for her medical care. And then it turned out that she needed a kidney. And he checked himself into the hospital. And he gave his own kidney for her because they couldn't find a match. And, and you're like, whoa, that's not the Billy Bob that I thought. Because you already have an opinion about who Billy Bob is and how he acts. And so the story that is to follow is framed through a certain view. But if somebody comes up to you and says, I need to tell you the most amazing story about the most sacrificial, loving, giving person that I've ever met. And then they go on to tell you this amazing story. You're like, wow, I want to be like that person. And who was that? That was Billy Bob. You know him? It changes your opinion about the subject matter when you hear the truth about what took place. And so it's for that reason that I'd like to invite us to engage in what the scripture says without having this preconceived notion of the subject of which it is speaking. Uh, that's one reason. The second reason is just because I think it'll be fun. <laughs> so are you with me? Can we do this? Okay. Scene seven. Scene seven, titled Finish. The scripture says this, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Scene seven, Finish. Have you ever noticed in life that sometimes it's harder to finish what you start uh, and it's much more difficult to finish what you start as opposed to how you begin something? Have you ever been in that place in life where you, you step into that job and you're like, wow, I don't deserve this job. I'm unqualified for this job. This is an amazing job for me. And you step into that job with passion. You're like, I'm going to be the best hamburger cooker that this McDonald's has ever seen. It's an amazing opportunity for me to make $7.50 an hour. Thank you, Lord. 
Or you step into that sales job and you think, oh man, this is going to be great. I'm finally working on commission. I'm not working for the hour anymore. I'm gonna, this is going to be so amazing. I'm going to go hard every minute I'm on this, this job site. I'm going to go hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, in this construction job, I'm going to build this house like it was my own house. And you start that job with passion. You start that job with drive. But like three months later, you're sitting there thinking, you know what? God, I don't deserve this job. I don't deserve $7.50 an hour for flipping hamburgers. I'm better than that. Whereas you started by saying, wow, I don't deserve this. Thank you, Lord. In a month, you're going, I just don't deserve this to be treated this way. And so you start something with passion, but it's hard to keep the passion. Or maybe in your relationships in life. You, you know, it's really not that hard to start a honeymoon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not that difficult to have fun in Maui. Everybody loves the honeymoon. You start that marriage with passion. You start that marriage, I'm going to just sacrifice, lay down my life for you. You stand up there on the, the altar and you give those vows and you begin. But if you've been married any longer than two weeks, <laughs> you know that two years down the road, it might not be as easy to keep going with the same sacrifice, with the same humility, with the same selflessness as it was in the beginning. It's difficult sometimes to keep up the passion, to keep up the drive of the things that we start. Now, sometimes in life, there are things that you start and you stop in a, in a pretty small amount of time, and that's fine. Sometimes finishing means finishing, stopping. Okay, I did that and I'm done. Sometimes it's not like a day or a week. Sometimes you need to start something and you need to go for a while, a year or two years. Sometimes when you've been struggling in relationships, and I did this when I was in college, some of the young adults know this, maybe some of the older adults need to know this, but you say, you know what, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to date for six months. I'm not going to date for a year because I need to learn how to find my identity in you before I try and find it in somebody else. I need to learn to trust in you before I, I learn to trust in some man or some woman. So you say, I'm, I'm going to join the the, you know, Bachelor of the Rapture, Lord, Apostle Paul Club. <laughs> That's what we used to say in college, me and my roommates. Oh, yeah, I'm in the APC right now, the Apostle Paul Club, Bachelor of the Rapture. And then like a month later, it's like, hey, I'm just dating this girl. But, you know. <laughs> but sometimes you say, I'm going to start this thing. But I'm going to go for a year. And I'm going to focus everything on God. I'm going to trust that he's going to bring the spouse that I need because I'm a Fixing my eyes on him, not chasing everybody around Instagram. So sometimes there's something you start and there's a finishing point. Sometimes there's something that you start, like faith, for example, where when, when Paul says finish the race, he means keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going until you breathe your last breath. And there is no really finish. There's no ending point in this life. It means just keep going with the passion. And sometimes there are things that we need to commit to in the beginning and keep doing forever. It's difficult, though, sometimes. I know. But here he says, so now finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring to do it will be matched by your ability to finish doing it. You committed to something. You were ready. You were desirous in the beginning, and I want you to keep doing what you committed to. And sometimes I think that the reason that we give up on doing things that we've committed to is because either we're not getting enough out of it or we think that we're not able to give enough to it. 
You thought that your commission-based job was going to give you, going to produce more for you than it is. You thought when you stepped in, you're going to make a million, but you're not making a million, and so it's not giving to you all that you wanted out of it. You thought that when you stepped into the relationship with that perfect person, that they were going to make you feel everything that you wanted to feel, put together. They were going to support all of your needs, and, and then you realize that life is not like that, and that you're not getting everything out of this relationship that you wanted, and so you give up. Other times, we feel like we start something, but we don't have enough to give, and so we back out because surely I'm just not gifted for that. You had in your mind to start that small group. You had, you had visions that your small group was going to become the biggest of the small groups, and then you thought to yourself, you know what? My small group might even become its own church one day, and then I sure hope the people leading small groups in my church don't start their own church because then my small group would shrink, but... You just think that, you know, your small group is going to become a ministry in the church, and you start this thing with passion, but then you realize it's hard, and you start thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm not able to produce everything that I thought I was going to be able to give to this, so it must not be for me, and so you step out of your commitment. Sometimes we think that we don't get enough from something, or we don't, aren't able to give enough. Our gifts, skills, or abilities aren't enough for what it is that we've been called to, but here's what he's saying. If God has called you to do something, what you have to give, the abilities that you have, the giftings that you have to give, they're enough and they're acceptable to God if you will do what God's asked you to do with what you have. Scene six, verse 10. We just read verses 11 and 12. Scene six says, it's good for you. Verse 10, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. Scene six, it's actually good for you. I'll tell you this, even though I won't tell you the subject right now. The subject matter is something that's not actually for them. The subject is something that is for somebody else. But what he's telling them at this point is that it's good for you, even though it's primarily about somebody else. Keep going. I know you started a year ago, but keep going because it's good for you. You've been asked by somebody to, hey, could you help me move on Saturday? You, if you have a truck, you know you've been asked that. <laughs> like, I'm thinking about buying a truck, and I'm just thinking, am I ready to, like, be the truck that everybody wants to borrow all the time? <laughs> and, you know, and I'll tell you this about helping somebody move. You know who your real friends are when it comes to moving day. Because moving is horrible. Me and my wife have moved eight times in the last nine years of marriage. We're insane, and some of you are really good friends. And some of you aren't. <laughs> so imagine your buddy says, hey, I'm moving next Saturday. Will you help me? And you're like, yeah, I'll help. So you get there, you move with them on Saturday. You hate it, but they give you pizza. You go home, oh, thank the Lord, it's over. And then they call you again and they say, hey, I'm not done moving. Can you come again next Saturday? And you're like, uh-uh. Imagine that this person called you every Saturday for a year. You'd be like, yo, you're crazy and get less stuff. <laughs> right? Sometimes you make a commitment to something and it shouldn't go, still be going a year from now. He's saying, 
hey, I'm gonna give you my opinion. This thing that you've committed to a year ago, it's good for you. Keep going. It wasn't a one Saturday thing. It wasn't just a one-time deal. And it wasn't just for them. It's actually good for you. <laughs> Keep going. Now, I just want to pause right there. I had this, I don't know if it was funny, I don't know if it was challenging. I had this thought. Is there any part of you that you need to know the subject of what I'm talking about before you can trust the scripture saying it's good for you. Like, like, it, like what we're doing right now is going in reverse order so you don't know the subject. But is it enough for you to know that the scripture says this is good for you? And then for you in your own heart and your own faith to say, hey, whatever it is that comes before this, in my case comes after this, because you're hearing it in reverse order, whatever it is that is said, I believe it. Isn't that a funny way to think about it when you take inventory of your own heart? Like somebody walks up to you with a white styrofoam cup with a lid on it and a straw and says, here, try this. It's really good. <laughs> and I say, well, what is it? You don't need to know what it is. Just try it. I say, yeah, right. I'm not trying nothing. You know, we want to know what it is before we can trust whether it's good for us. But when you could trust the source... You could trust whatever's in the cup. So the real question is, do you truly trust the source of the word of God that if the word says this is good for you, it doesn't matter what it says, you know that it's good for you and you're ready to drink it. Now I can't answer that for you, but we are talking about something today. And when you figure out what we're talking about, I just want you to know that it's good for you. Amen. Scene five, riches to rags, rags to riches. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the picture of the gospel, that everything that we have has been given to us by God, you know, God was rich. This, this sermon could be about anything. God was rich in holiness, and yet he stepped out of his pristine state in heaven. He stepped in earth for us. God was rich in mercy, and though we were poor in it, and so he traded his place for ours. God was rich in love, and we were bankrupt in love, and so he stepped out of heaven so that he could come down and, and lay his life down so that our bankruptcy could be turned to love. He traded places with us. This is the picture of the gospel, that Though God was rich, listen, God's retirement plan was not the wealth of heaven, it was you. He traded all the wealth that he had in his, his perfect reality in heaven. He stepped out of it. He traded his wealth for our poverty. He traded his luxury for our bankruptcy. He traded everything so that we would have. Every single one of us, no matter what we have in the material world, we're all bankrupt. We're all bankrupt without him and thanks be to God who would trade places with us trade his wealth for our poverty scene four law says no but love says yes verse eight 
I say this not as a command, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I say this not as a command. I want you to hear me loud and clear. When you hear what the subject is today, this is not a command. This is not a requirement. This is not a, if you really are a Christian, you have to do blank. He says it right here. It's not a command. It's my opinion that you should do this. He goes on to say, it's actually good for you, not just for them. It's good for you. And so I encourage you to finish what you started in the readiness that you started it with. He says, this is not a command. Have you ever noticed in life that you can hear the same thing and yet hear two completely opposite things as somebody else? (laughs) Like when I'm fighting with my wife, like, I hear what she says differently than she hears and vice versa. Have you, have you seen on the internet this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, it's Laurel, all right? It is absolutely Laurel. And if you think it's Yanni, then you better come to the altar and repent. Raise your hand if you heard of Yanni versus Laurel. All right, so for the rest of you that don't have any clue what I'm talking about, this is going to blow your mind. There's a dude on the internet that recorded his voice saying, Laurel, 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 Laurel. And 47% of the people in this country think that he's saying Yanny. You don't even believe me because it's so ridiculous. Like, how could anybody think you're saying Yanny? When you're saying Laurel, but I'm telling you, don't look it up right now, but look it up when you go home. It is crazy. No, seriously, the dude is saying one word. It is one word. And me and Aaron could be sitting listening to the same thing, and he's hearing Yanny, and I'm hearing Laurel. It's like the 2018 version of the dress. It's insane. What? The pink and white shoe. Now, there is some science behind it, actually. I heard that it has to do with the pitch, and when you lower the pitch, then everybody hears. Anyway, it's amazing, though. You can hear the same thing and hear two completely different things. And I wonder what you heard when you heard this passage. This is not a command. This is your choice. The subject really doesn't matter at this point. Anything to do with God and his kingdom, anything that that God would desire for us, let's just say that all the commandments are taken off the table. Let's just say that God said, hey, this is my heart for you, but you never have to do it never once. Do you hear? Cool, I don't gotta do that. Or do you hear? Okay, I don't have to do that, but I know I'm gonna want to. We can hear the same scripture verse. We can hear the same word, and people can hear it two vastly different ways. So just consider that as we dive into what this subject is. When you, when you hear about exactly what the subject is, are you thinking to yourself, oh, thank the Lord I don't have to do that? Or are you thinking to yourself, thank the Lord that I get to do that? Law says no, but love says yes. Scene three. Grace to you and grace through you. Verse 6, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace 
also. Whatever the subject is that we're talking about today, whatever it is that, that the commandment or the opinion is that we could be a part of this, whatever it is that we have the opportunity to step into and to serve, not just for one Saturday, but for a year or maybe beyond, whatever it is that the scriptures would invite us to invest into, to give of our time, talent, and treasures, to give of our gifts, skills, and abilities, whatever it is, we have to understand that if we give anything of our time or our energy or our giftings or our words or our abilities or our finances, whatever it is that we have to give is because it's been given to us through grace first. The very breath in our lungs is a grace from God. The life that we have is a grace and a gift from God. The fact that we can live forever in paradise is grace from God. Everything that we have, the clothes on your back right now, is a grace from God. The fact that you live in this nation is a grace from God. Every single good thing that you have is a gift given from heaven. Everything that he gives us, he gives to us for a purpose. The grace and the love and the joy and the peace and the wealth and the whatever it is is that we have, he gives to us because his promise to Abraham is the same promise that he has for us. I will bless you with whatever degree of blessing it is that you have so that you can be a blessing to other people. If you have received grace, if you have received forgiveness at all, you should dole out forgiveness joyfully. If you've received love, you should give out love. If you've received uh, in the material realm, that you should, you should generously give everything that we have is a grace from God. He says to these people, you are excelling in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge. And so continue also in this grace. Don't just excel in the, the graces and the gifts that you enjoy, but continue in the graces and the gifts all of them that God has given you because it's for the benefit of other people. Scene two, giving to God, giving to man. Verse three, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Everything that we give in this life, we need to start by giving ourselves first to God. It's not about just serving other people. It's not about just giving to the church. It's not about giving to an organization. Everything is about giving first of our heart and our intention and our love and our affection to God first. Listen. I'm a pastor here at this church. If you're doing anything in this church, whether serving or giving or coming out of religiosity or legalism or because anybody's twisting your arm or because of guilt, I'm not telling you to stop doing those things, but I'm telling you, you really need to figure out a way between you and the Holy Spirit to stop doing those things for those reasons. Everything that we do is not because of religion. Everything that we do should flow from relationship. Everything that we, should do, that we do should be because we're giving ourselves to God first, and that produces giving ourselves to humanity. Amen. It's always about God first. It's never about legalism. It's never about uh, what this person or that person wants you to do, or they're twisting your arm, they're making you feel guilty. It's all about offering ourselves to God first, and then the natural 
The reasonable response to giving yourself to God is to give yourself away to people. Because the entire economy of heaven is not built on selfishness. It's not built on me, me, me. It's it's always built on giving it away. So he says, give yourself to God first and give yourself to man. Now you might be guessing what this message is about. Who thinks it's about money? It's always about Jesus. <laughs> Scene one. A wealth of generosity. We want you to know this is uh, verse one, 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verse one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. Listen to this. This is so powerful. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Listen to it all together. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia, the church of Thessalonica and Philippi, the northeastern side of Greece, as he writes this letter to the church in the southern, middle southern part of Greece. We want you to know of the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. I say this to you not as a command. You don't have to do it but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though for your sake he became poor, so that in your poverty, in, in your poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. So now finish in doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched in your completing it out of what you have. This message is not about money, and it's not about you giving to the church. This message is about generosity, and there's a difference. You can give money, whether a lot or a little, and not be generous. That's a fact. You can give money out of any number of motives. It doesn't make you generous. This message is a message that is encouraging you to say, 
I want to represent the kingdom of heaven. I want to represent who my Lord and Savior is, the one that would step out of heaven and become poor for my sake to make everybody else wealthy. I want to represent what it is that people have been doing for thousands of years, that even though there might be an abundance of poverty going on in my world, I'm going to let the overflowing joy that came through the grace of God that was given to me overflow, even in spite of poverty, overflow in me in a wealth of generosity, whether it's finances or whether it's time or whether it's my possessions, things that I have, or whether it's my gifts, or whether it's my energy, I'm going to let my life reflect a life of generosity to the world around me because I want to be known as somebody that's not just selfish, not just trying to take, not just trying to get the blessing from God, but I want to be a person that gets the blessing and lets it flow through me, not just to me. The generous person is the person that reflects the character and nature of who God is and reflects what God did for us. You know, most of us are like the churches in Macedonia, at the same time caught in between a catch-22 of both feeling and receiving extreme blessing and joy, and oftentimes feeling and experiencing extreme poverty. Sometimes we think, if I'm in the joy season, then I can be generous, I can be giving, I can be sacrificial. But right now, I'm in the poverty season, and so I have to be about me. I have to keep, I have to hold on to, I have to store up. This church, it says they were experiencing extreme joy in light of extreme poverty, and those two things combined overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What's actually going on here, excuse me, is that Paul is writing, I think for the third time, at least the third time to the church that he established in Corinth. It's called 2 Corinthians, but the truth is that we know that there's one letter that's been lost in there. Paul went to the the city of Corinth, a, a city that's very much like modern day Amsterdam or Las Vegas. It's just crazy. These people are all over all over the place. He established a church. And in the meantime, he wrote one letter. They wrote a letter back. He wrote another letter. There were some disputes. He's trying to correct all these issues and what's going on. In the meantime, the believers in Jerusalem are suffering from a great famine and persecution. And here it is, his third letter to them, after at least one time where he went back in person. And he's saying to them, hey, I've corrected a whole number of things. You've been a church that's excelled greatly in the gifts of the Spirit. He wrote 1 Corinthians love. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That's all about love. He's He's complimented them in great ways about all the amazing things that they're they're doing, but probably more than any other church, he's had to correct them about all kinds of weird things that are going on inside the church. And all the while, right here in the middle, he's saying, hey, you have experienced great joy and you are experiencing, you know, your own struggles just like the churches in Macedonia, but would you follow their example and would you give, not to me, Paul's saying, not to him, not to Paul's little church. He's saying, I want to take your finances back to the people that are suffering in Jerusalem. It's an invitation for generosity. So I just want to close by asking you a few questions that you could apply to your life. You see, our generosity always comes from grace verses 1, 6, and 7 but here's the questions have we really truly and fully accepted do we really believe that 100% of what we have 
is from God. Do we truly believe that everything that we have in this life is a gift and a grace from above? If it is, we'll treat it differently. If we do view it that way, we'll respond to it differently than if we think it's ours based on our own merit. Our generosity reflects the very nature of who God is and what he did. They erupted in a wealth of generosity and that was a, a lion that preceded the matching lion that said he was rich and became poor. Though God was rich, he became poor and we, be, we can become rich in giving. Here's my question. Do we delight in being like Jesus? Are we blessed to be a blessing or are we simply blessed when we get the blessing? Like, if you really, truly stop and think about that, in my heart, you know, you always hear this, better to, better to give than to receive. But do we really believe that? Not just as a meme or a quote. Do we really believe that we are blessed when we are a blessing? Is it truly our desire to be generous? Do we, do we long for that? I'll just say this, like, I'm no, I am no better than anybody in this room, and, and you're no better than me. None of us are any better or worse than anybody else. There's just, we're all on our own journey in this life, and we're just, hopefully, all of us keeping our eyes on Jesus and trying to learn his ways. I'll just tell you from my experience, I grew up caring a whole lot about money and wanting more of it as opposed to less of it. And I, by the way, grew up calling myself a Christian, Though that was just a title, my life never, I didn't follow Jesus. I just called myself that because that's what everybody in my family called themselves. But when I gave my life to Jesus in a real way, everything changed. And it was not that I gave my life to Jesus and then I realized, and it was real and it was genuine, and then I realized, oh, I'm supposed to be sacrificial with finances or with my time or with my effort. And so, okay, because I love Jesus, I guess I'll submit to that. That wasn't even what took place. It was so freeing. It was, it's amazing. I, I got to the place where I didn't even care whether it was something I had to do because of my faith. I got to the place where it was truly something that I wanted to do. You know, when you grow up and, and your parents pay for everything, when you, when you become no longer a child and you become a man and you get a job and you start to have some money in your account, if you're really mature, you go to that, you go to that dinner after, after church on Sunday and your dad goes to pull out his credit card and there's something, not out of obligation, but there's something in you that says, no, dad, I got this one. I'm a man now. I want to buy it for you because you've been buying for me my whole life. And it's, it's actually a desire you have. That's a sign of maturity is when it's something that you desire. And so I just want to ask you, I'm not trying to twist your arm or make you feel guilty. Please, if that's how you feel, don't give. Truly, because if you start doing the action and the heart isn't right, it could actually be detrimental to you. I never want to promote religious uh, religious duty when somebody's heart isn't right because I know that they could end up being 
death bringing legalism in them. What I'm saying to you is if you take inventory of your own life and you realize whether or not you're giving or not giving, if you realize that it's not a joy to you, then you need to start there, not with whether or not it's happening or how much or how little. You need to start in your heart and say, why is it that I don't desire to be a part of this? Because your heart is what matters. Our generosity is freely chosen or freely ignored. Verse 8, this is not a command. I just think it's better for you. That's not like something to twist your arm and be like, hey, you don't have to, but you really have to. This isn't a command. Because generosity is only generosity if it's done freely. Our generosity is not about the numbers, it's about the heart. They gave out of what they had. And God says this, that if you give from what you have with a heart that represents him, it's enough. It was not about the numbers, how much or how little. He said they, they desired to give and they kept giving and then we encourage you to do the same thing, not out of what you don't have, but out of what you do have. Lastly, it's this, our generosity is not only for other people, but it's for us too. They were begging us to let them help in relieving the saints. And it's my judgment, my opinion, that it's good also for you. Do you love? And do you love to give love? Do you have? And do you love to give what you have? Do we look for ways to be generous? Do we look for ways to be generous? with our time, our abilities, our giftings, our energy, our service, or our finances. It's not a message just about money. It's a message about having a generous heart.